In today's episode, once again, we speak to the amazing Paul Evans. Paul is an award-winning business coach, speaker, and a mastermind mentor who is highly sought after in the UK by six and seven entrepreneurs and business owners who help them break through the scale-up ceiling. With an impressive 20-year track record of helping business owners generate hundreds of millions of pounds in additional sales, profits, and shareholder value, Paul is a catalyst that business owners seek out when they feel frustrated and overwhelmed and want to accelerate, accelerate their growth to seven figures without wasting time, energy, and money by learning trial and error. And today, we'll be speaking to Paul about how you can stop working in your business and start working on your business. Let's find out. And remember, if you want to break free from limited beliefs and want to upgrade your money mindset, then click on the link www.millionairefoundations.com and watch my free training. Money Mindset with Girl Khan podcast will help you to break free from your limiting beliefs, reverse your money shame and blast through your money blocks so that you can live a life of unlimited abundance. In this podcast, we will talk about energy tools and mindset strategies that will help you to understand and change your relationship with money, whether you're in a job, profession, or working on your passion. Change your relationship with money to change your life. I'm your host, Gul Khan. Let's get started. Welcome, welcome. This is Gul Khan, your money mindset expert. And guess what? We have the amazing, the wonderful, the charming Paul Evans again. Welcome, Paul. <laughs> well, hello. It's great to be here. Yes, I'm ready, wired and fired. Let's go. Thank you so much for joining us, Paul. Paul, everyone's heard your intro, but please, and they know how wonderful you are, but please, in your own words, tell everybody what it is that you do. Uh, so I, you know, for me, when people say, what do I do? I say, I help entrepreneurs find a higher level of personal and team performance and profitability. And I take them on a seven figure journey to hit seven figures in sales, seven figures in profits, and then seven figure exit valuations. So that's what I do. And I have loads of different ways of helping people to do that and overcome all the challenges and obstacles that, that they face along the way. So yeah, that's what I do. I accelerate that journey. I speed it up for people, save them years and years of, of figuring it out on their own. <laughs> Wonderful. And um, as I, I said on, on Friday feature, Paul is, is my mentor that I have sort of joined hands with to help me build my business, not just not necessarily coaching. Uh, I have multiple, <laughs> multiple businesses too, being a crazy you entrepreneur do. that I am. You're a busy person. I am. And I'm a full-time mom. I always say I'm a full-time that, mom. First. That's, that's the hardest work of all, right? Let's be it honest. Is, right? It is. Right? It, like, it, it is. That's why it's a full-time job. That's my first, yep. that's my main, my main job. Everything else is ancillary. Yep. But um, I've, you know, I've gone to Paul for the exact reason what he does at the moment. But my, my reasoning for going to Paul was, well, Paul, how do I you know, not get, you know, I'm buying this business, which is three hours away. How do I not get another job? I don't want another job. I want to uh, work, be working on my business, not in my business. Hence, yeah. today's topic is all about how to stop working in your business and start working on your business. Now, I... I know what that means, but I want you, Paul, to define what I just said. So, okay. So I think, there's a, firstly, um, there's a, it's a really interesting question, right? And I, I, I put um, an Instagram reel up once where I said, if someone says work on your business, not in the business, and they can't explain what that actually means, don't listen to them, right? All mm-hmm. they've done is read the e-myth. And, you yeah. know, I've spoken on stage with Michael Gerber, um, spent time around him. And the challenge with it is it gets banded around as a phrase a lot, which is, hey, work on your business, not in your business. And the challenge is very few people actually unpack it, mm. explain what that looks like and what it actually even means 
and how you do it. And I think the how-to piece is a big part of what I built my career on over 20 years is teaching people how to do stuff. It's like, oh, this is how you actually apply that. So, I mean, the key thing with this is, first of all, you, you, this is about looking at your diary. And I'll tell you this now, it's like looking at your diary and going, okay, what am I doing in a week? That's the first place to start. It's going, okay, let's go through every single task that I do in a week. What is it that you're actually doing? Because actually, most people find that they go, the biggest excuse people have for not trying to grow their business is I don't have time, right? I either don't have time or I don't have money. And the reality is you do have the time. You're just choosing to spend it on things that are not moving the needle right now. And I think first thing that I would suggest anybody does is do a time audit. Simple thing to do, but actually do it for a week. Be entirely honest with yourself uh, about what you're spending your time on. And ask yourself the question then, is there, uh, at the end of that, look at it and go, okay, great. Most of these tasks are things that could either be, and the three words I use all the time is outsourced, automated, or delegated. Okay. Mm. Now, if you cannot outsource it, then the question is, is there a piece of technology or a piece of AI, or is there software that could take some of that repetitive stuff off your desk? If so, you know, go find out how much it would cost and get, get yourself, buy your time back. The skill starts to become about buying your time back. Before you can start to work on the business, you actually have to buy your time back. You yeah. have to get out of boxes before you can do what needs to be done, right? So the first stage of working on your business rather than in it is to start recognizing where you're in it, where you're in it. And then secondly, how to get out of it, how to escape from boxes. And so time audits tool number one, I would suggest everybody did do a time audit. And if you work, you know, I do days one to seven um, rather than Monday to Friday, because Monday to Friday is an employee mindset. And mm-hmm. most of us, if we're entrepreneurs, actually, I quite like doing stuff on a Sunday morning for me because it's quiet. I can get a lot done. So like, look at your week as a one to seven and go, right, what am I doing in those hours? Right. Like be really honest, like every 15 minutes, what was I doing in the last 15 minutes? Was I actually being productive or was I just doing operational stuff? Mm. that's the first thing second thing is then you start to look at it and go okay great let's look at tasks in terms of time uh, value in terms to buy myself out so if you say okay is this a 50 pound task all right is this a 10 pound 50 pound 100 pound 500 pound task and if you draw out a four boxes and start to look at it like that it becomes really clear hang on a minute there's a whole bunch of tasks here that i could pay somebody 10 pound an hour to do that means i've just bought back my time mm-hmm. and your goal as an entrepreneur is to start to get out of every single box that's less than 500 pounds an hour right or at least set the goal of 250 pounds an hour and then work up from there but then start looking at okay if i can pay somebody 100 pounds an hour to do this um, it's worth employing okay then suddenly you start to go okay great this box got to get out of right copywriting well now you can get out of copywriting for 20 pounds a month if you've got chat gpt you can get a lot of copywriting done with tech then right okay great well that's worth the money and i can empower somebody on my team to do it and i'm out of the copywriting box i've got somebody else to do it i might polish it but i've got my suddenly i've taken my time commitment from four hours a week down to 40 minutes a week And this is the game is that you've got to start looking at everything you're currently doing and going, how do I start to get out of boxes? Now, the biggest thing that holds people back at this point is the mindset around recruitment. Mm. Okay. This is one of the things that trips people up and it, I often say new level, new devil. It doesn't matter what level you're at. If uh, I can, you know, there's an incredible entrepreneur I've worked with. She's built a 2 million pound business in the landscape gardening business. It's award-winning. 
but I remember the first time we had a conversation about her hiring a full-time person and how it freaked her out and how the whole idea of like, I'm going to be paying somebody 28,000 pounds a year salary. What if I, what if the business can't pay it? What if, mm. like every time you get to that point, it's a mindset game. And the biggest challenge that everybody has in my experience is they tend to look at the annual salary. So you'll look at somebody and say, I'm paying them 30,000 pounds a year. That's a scary number. And I say, listen, break it down. All we're looking to do at the moment is cash flow somebody at 50% for three months. Months. That's the goal. 50% of three months. So you can find out one, can they free up the rest of your time mm-hmm. for the other 50%? Can they create value? Because if they can't create value, then they shouldn't be on the team. And secondly, then you say, okay, great. If I can cash for them at 50%, they should be able to generate either sales or opportunities or time for me to generate sales, which will pay for the other 50%. Mm-hmm. Now, if you can do that, then pull the trigger and get going. Because, and and I've had clients of mine who've had the same conversation when they've hired somebody at 70,000 pounds or a senior director at 130,000 pounds. In fact, there was a client of mine in my inner circle recently. We had this conversation. He said, I know you gave me a hard time about this, but I'd sat on the fence for three months about hiring an operations director at 120,000 pounds. And he said, he said, I just prevaricated on it. And I said, yeah. And then he sat in a room at inner circle and I said, can you afford it for three months? Same thing. (laughs) Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay, great. So what's the block? What's the fear? And nine times out of 10, it's a fear, right? It's a fear about money. It's a fear about losing money. All of those fears come up internally. And he said, here's the thing. I hired this person and I told them they had to make me 60,000 pounds in the first three months to pay for themselves. He said, I set it as a goal. He said, in the first six weeks, they've just stopped us making a really bad decision on investment in software that was going to cost us about 400,000 pounds. And they came up and said, there's a better solution that we already know that can reduce this down to about a hundred grand. Um, rather than 400,000. So they, he said in the first, literally in the first six weeks, that person saved me 300,000 pound mistake that we were going to make. And he said, that's paid for them, hasn't it? For the next two yeah. years. And I've gone, exactly. And I said, when you realize you're buying experience, you're buying people who've been higher up the mountain than you, who know what the tools are you need to get there, who understand how to save you money because they've already done the journey you yeah. want to do that becomes a critical way to work on the business. And your job is to look ahead three to five moves and start going, who are we going to need next? Who are we going to need when we get to that point in the journey? What resources are we going to need at that point in the journey? Your decision-making paradigm shifts from how do I just solve today's fires to other people are dealing with that. I'm looking ahead to see where are the risks and the opportunities three, six, nine, 12, 24, 36 months ahead, your time frame shifts. And you can't do that if you're still dealing with massive amounts of operation. Now, mm. the easiest way to do this is to start, and because some people might be listening to this going, well, that sounds great, Paul, but I've, it's me and one part-timer at the moment. I can't suddenly stop doing all of that. Totally get that. So here's the thing. It's what I call 50 minutes of focus. So every day on your calendar, you have 50 minutes of focus. And this is where the brain research kicks in, right? My wife has a brain injury. So I've read lots and lots and lots about brains and how they work and how to optimize them for performance. Um, And one of the best things you can do is 50 minutes and then a 10 minute break. And um, there's a similar method, I think, called Pomodoro method is similar to this, but I call it 50 minutes of focus where you go, okay, great. I'm going to shut off all distractions, notifications, emails, inbounds, anything like that that can get to me. And I'm going to spend 50 minutes on the most important task in my business right now. That's working on the business. Now, if you do 50 minutes of focus a day, you will be blown away by how far you move in a month. You'll be blown away by how much you do it. 
Now, if you if you are able to do fifty minutes of focus and then take a ten minute break and then do another fifty minutes of focus, do it. If you can do two hours first thing in the morning, you know, like first thing before you get into operational stuff, you will move so fast it will stun people around you because you'll be ticking off and removing puzzles that other people are dealing with. Mm. Right? So, so suddenly this whole kind of working on the business, you go, oh, I've got a structure between eight and nine every morning is when I work on the business. I don't deal with inbound. I don't deal with anything from the team. I work on projects that only I can do that are going to move the business forward in a massive way. And if you do that, it, it, it's, it moves the needle so quickly. So you might be working on recruitment. You might be working on processes. You might be working with somebody on the next tech stack you need to implement or the next element of that. But ultimately, you know, you might be building dashboards, it, whatever it is, you know, or working with people on your team to do those things. But if you do that every day, it becomes a, it becomes a muscle. It becomes a muscle and you, you get to the end of the week and you go, well, no, no matter what else happened this week, I spent nearly five hours working on the business, but there's no way that compound effect doesn't just absolutely destroy your competition over a year. There is no 100%. way that happens. hundred percent. I think the, the compounding factor has been so under misunderstood and ignored by, uh, by most people. We, when you think of compounding interest, we just think of it in, in terms of investments, but compounding comes in, every aspect of your life good and bad alike people don't yeah. realize if you're eating the wrong food it may not impact you today but it will 10 years down the line and 10 years down the line lack of exercise same thing lack of uh, discipline same thing compounding impacts all areas of the life but if we can use it in our favor and start developing healthy habits and developing yeah. health, healthy ways of operating our business and our life and so forth we may not see the direct impact within the next few weeks or months, but the, the compound impact of that over the next year to five years, it's going to be massive. And I remember, you know, Jim Rowan's quote, he says, you know, people always underestimate, overestimate what they can achieve in one year and they underestimate what they can achieve in three to five years. And the reason why that works and it's so perfect is it's that compounding effect. Because, you know, when you start building and building and building, it just all compounds. It's not achieving something in, in um, you know, in, on day, you know, day 499. It's the 499 days that you worked in beforehand, which goes into, you know, whatever results you get on day 500. Yeah. So oh, com- completely. And I think, I think like that's, that's, that's one of the, I think most entrepreneurs in my experience are very highly driven people, right? They have mm. a high level of what I call activating energy in our, in our profiling tool that we use. Um, and it's activating. They want to see results fast. They're very much right in the moment. How do I get things done? How do I tick it off? How do I move fast, right? That's their energy. It's like the found, what we call founder's energy. A lot of them have that kind of energy. The Achilles heel of that is that they can't necessarily do delayed gratification very well and mm. compounding becomes a challenge. So yeah. we, what, I, what I'll often do is teach them how to go right okay great we have to be able to achieve short-term goals to keep that part of your brain happy (laughs) whilst at the same time having the team build out long-term long-term strategies and plans and processes and things that will ultimately get the business to the value you want it to be or the sales number you want it to be or the profit number you need to be but we also have to build like there's a great book called the 12-week year if you haven't read it it's brilliant book and it basically talks about this principle of dividing your year down into four quarters of 12 weeks and, and, if, and if you start doing that, then you go, okay, it is a sprint, but it's a compound sprint. And that's just massive. And for us, it's like repetition builds re- results, true, but it also builds resilience. And it's like anything you can do over and over and over again. It's like posting on LinkedIn. It's like the number of people who I've coached over the years who want to post on LinkedIn, they can go three months and then they give up because they're not seeing results. Whereas actually, if you go and post on LinkedIn once a day for a year, consistently, add value, serve, share great content, there's no way in the world 
world, you don't start winning at the end of a year, making money, getting customers, all those kind of things, right? The maths don't lie, but it takes, there's a time lag. The big, it took me years to get this. So God, I made so much, so many mistakes that cost me so much money without knowing this. There is a time lag between when you do something positive and the payoff or when yeah. you do something negative and yeah. the payoff, yeah. right? And too often we're living with the consequences of that decision today without realizing that the cause of it happened years ago yeah. or yeah. months ago, right? Yeah. Like, and and I've you know same thing. I say that it's not the meal you ate yesterday that made you fat. It's the one that you've been. It's the one you've been doing. You've been eating junk food for five years. That's yeah. the problem. Five years ago was the issue when you started it. That was the issue. And the same thing with money, right? It's like. Yeah if you're not making profit in your business, it's not what you did last week. It's what you've been doing for the last two years that's causing the problem. But we have to go back and understand and then stop you doing that before we start fixing it. This is why so many turnarounds are so hard to do because you don't have the benefit of um, lag time. Mm-hmm. You can't wait. If you've got to turn a business around in 90 days, the challenge is a lot of what works takes more than 90 days to fully kick in before you start to get the upturn. And if you haven't got enough cash in the bank to get you through that shift, it, it, you run out of money. And this is what happens to too many entrepreneurs when they, they make mistakes and they don't pivot fast enough. Um, and therefore they get into trouble because they didn't understand where they were on things like the S curve and stuff like that. And it, it, for me, this is all about the working on the business, right? If you're not looking at, you know, there's two things I talk to people about. What are your, what, there's two indicators, lagging and leading indicators. Most people are only looking at lagging indicators, mm. getting on the scales and, and weighing yourself is a lagging indicator. It's not a leading indicator. Mm. How much water you drank today is a leading indicator. How did you go to the gym today is a leading indicator. Did you meditate today is a leading indicator. All those things are in indicators of good health down the road. Same in the business. What are your leading indicators that you're tracking every day that tell you that the business is healthy? And most people are only doing lagging indicators, maybe monthly PLs, maybe quarterly numbers, may, you know, they're not, they're not measuring enough um, leading indicators to know when it's off so they can act fast enough. So coming back to this question of, you know, how do we stop working in our business? What if you someone realizes that, you know, they that they, you know, they, their skills are non-transferable, uh, or they they can't they can, there's no way that they can um you know there's certain tasks they cannot they just absolutely cannot give to anybody else, or they feel that they can't give to anybody else. And, you know there are I I know quite a few entrepreneurs who are you know solopreneurs I'll just call them, and they are reluctant to give any of their tasks to anybody else because they don't think anybody else can do it or they're not capable of it. Yeah. If someone is and let's talk about the coaching industry because we're both in coaching. I like that a lot. Um, yeah, this is where it's, it's a very common a problem that you know you end up building a coach because there isn't much overheads. You can build a very successful business with very few um, staff members, and you can just have you know, like you know a, an admin person, a VA, and so forth. But when you want to scale up and go from multiple six figures up to seven and then eight, that's when the problems occur because that's when you need teams. So right. how how do we change our mindset then? How do we go for okay? I don't know how to, you know, for example, sales calls. And I've got this question because in my coaching, and I am I am working on this obviously as well, that I, I need to get somebody else to do the sales calls. I don't know how somebody else can come in and convey what I teach and what I do to someone the way I do it. And therefore, I've, every so far up until now, when we've had tried to do have a sales rep, in, you know, um, uh, every time we've had sales reps, they, their close rate has been zero. Whereas I go in and my close rate is really high. And I'm using the same exact script, but I know what I'm doing and I know how to connect with my audience. 
So what would you say to someone like to me? So I know how I can do it in other businesses, but when it comes to coaching, Paul, I have no idea how I can take my time back. I don't know how somebody else can close the course for me. But if and if I can't pass the skill on, then I can't scale up my coaching. So how do you answer that? I hope you are enjoying today's episode. If you want to learn more about my mindset strategies and energy tools to help you change your money mindset, then please register for my Abundance Mindset Makeover Workshop by visiting www.abundancemindsetmakeover.com. See you inside the workshop. Great question, first of all. Uh, Let me just unpack it, a couple of things. So firstly, the the last box I usually coach uh, entrepreneurs to get out of is the sales box because it's the hardest one to get out of. And it's the one that most of them think they should get out of earlier. So uh, health warning right now, if you are less than um, a million pounds in in turnover, you shouldn't be having high closes, high ticket closes, people on your your team. Because frankly, you can do it with really good automations, tools like webinars, other things like that that get people to the point of just wanting a conversion call. And we've done this loads of times in our business where basically, you get it to the stage where people have spent enough time with you, you know, in a, in a structured way, they've got to know, like, trust you that actually you just get on with them a 20 minute conversion call. And you could do five of those in a, in a couple of hours. And it's really easy to do. Okay. Why would you then want to outsource, outsource that to a full-time salesperson? It just doesn't make sense. You build the infrastructure. So you build the systems and the processes and the videos and all of those things, because that scales the conversion. Then you, you could convert 15 or 20 people in, in a couple of days a week, easy. Right. And then if the delivery is scaled, um, through a delivery mechanism that's more scalable than one-to-one, then you're fine. So anything less than a million, you really ought to just be looking at automations and then a conversion call. And it's a lot easier to coach somebody up to do a heart, to do a conversion call that's that's when someone's been through a process like that, because mm-hmm. that is easy to train, right? If there isn't that process before and it's a, it's a fairly cold call, it's not a cold call, but it's a, a fairly high skill, then that's yeah. hard to find and there's not many of them around. So the okay. first thing is number one is the systemization piece. Number two is, it's a lot easier to get out of the following boxes first than it is to get out of the sales box and also quicker and cheaper and more efficient. Number one, finance, bookkeepers, admin, any admin, admin, bookkeeping, finance, number one. Number two, um, HR support you can buy in and, and as you need. So contract law, all of those things, get some really good HR and legal support. That's something you buy in. That's an outsource piece. Um, you should be able to automate most of um, things like billing, appointment setting, you know, all of those kind of things within a coaching business you can automate with, with tech that's that's really well proven now um funnels all of that good stuff in terms of getting people on a journey to be ready to work with you then you go okay great so then operationally you might bring in an operations person at say i don't know say 35 40,000 pounds a year who deals with running all your operation side of it so then you end up just being the face of the brand and the marketing of the brand and doing all of those the 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 lead generation the content creation pieces that becomes the majority of what you do mm-hmm. and that's then the last box you get out of when you bring in a marketing person I'm bringing in a marketing person right now and that marketing person is going to be responsible for all of the inbound leads men you know running all the funnels scaling all of that but I'm still doing the coaching delivery. Now I'm doing that out of choice because, you know, I'm building a coaching team, but fundamentally I'm, I'm optimizing my business for lifestyle. I've got investment businesses that I'm, that I'm optimizing for uh, passive income or I'm investment income as I tend to prefer to call it. Mm -hmm. So I'm very aware that my coaching business is the one that gives me my lifestyle income. And I'm okay with that. I'm not trying to scale it to be a 
you know, like a 10 million pound coaching business. That's not the goal with this. Mm. The, goal, the goal is to, you know, just to get to where we want to be, a, you know, two, two and a half million pound coaching business, which, you know, generates enough margin and me allows me to build a team of no more than 10. So one of the key questions to think about with your team is to think about what's the maximum size team you want to have mm. to build the business you want to build. So one of, one of my, one of the people I spent some time with a really good client of mine, he said, I don't want a business that's more than 10 people ever. Cause I don't want to manage more than 10 people. Well, once you know, that's the constraint, then you, then it forces you to think about how you build your team and your model and your systems and your processes and your structures. And all of those, you know, that like we show people how to use systems to save 15 hours a week really early in the coaching program, because the first thing we've got to do is get people's time back. Mm. Well, that's about how you document your systems. And then you can't delegate what you can't document, mm. right? You can't, if it isn't documented, you can't delegate it. So most people are not doing delegation, really. They're doing abdication. They're just kind of throwing it at people and go, oh, do you do this? Rather than actually going, all right, here's a process, here's a system, here's training videos, here's a checklist, here's how we do it. And then you can delegate it. And then you empower people to go in and do, use it. And for me, that's that's why building a team is, and you know, Harvard says this too, uh, building a team is one of the number one success skills that entrepreneurs need to lead, learn if they want to scale up. It is one of the critical skills is to learn how to build and lead a team. Mm, agreed. I think uh, I think people management or um, <laughs> people management is a skill which is I find personally very very um, challenging. I would have to say, and especially you know if if you don't like confrontation, I don't like confrontations at all. It may, I mean it may yeah. s- sound bizarre being the kind of you know I seem like a very passionate aggressive woman. Actually, I'm the opposite. I avoid confrontations at all costs as possible, and I'd rather take you know I'd rather become quiet than actually argue with someone. And that's uh, that. So that's not a very good um, you know that's not that's a, that's one of my weak points. How would you help you know someone like me? And says, I don't like competitions and how I'm going to manage my team. I don't think I can be a leader then. Is that right? No, uh, no, it's not right. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's not. I'm just, I'm just, I'm, yeah. <laughs> no, it's not right. So like, I, I think I've said this before in a previous interview with you. Is it's about understanding your profile and then building a team around you. Right. And this is about then go, okay, great. So confrontation is not your thing. I, okay, great. Then who on your team, then we look quicker to bring in a COO or chief operating officer who we might bring in earlier in your development of your business, because actually they're going to deal with managing all the team and the people, and they're going to deal with all the process stuff that you don't like. Mm. So then we bring that person in quicker because that's more their, what we call flow zone than yours. Yes. Right. So this is about understanding where you're in flow and where you're out of flow and where are the things that you find really easy to do and where are the things that create a massive amount of friction. You're never going to be successful if the majority of the things in your diary are friction activities, right? Because we fundamentally don't want to do them. We'll avoid them. We'll, we'll procrastinate on them. So ultimately we have to build our business around going, look, my goal is to put myself in flow first and then build a team where everyone on my team is in flow doing what they love to do. And, you know, that's why okay. we use profiling tools and various things like that to, to get people that level of understanding. And then when you realize that actually the game is for you to only do the things that you are brilliant at, and then to delegate and empower people to do everything else because they're brilliant at it, that changes everything. And it just as a really simple piece, for example, the minute you stop, stop using the language staff because staff is them and us, and the minute you say team, we're a team. Right. Yeah. I might be leading. The, I'm a team leader, but I, we're a team. So my job is to help everyone else on the team win. 
Mm. It's, it's not for me to just win it. it, it, it you know, it's, a, it's a cliche phrase, isn't it? Teamwork makes the dream work. But the reality is actually building a team is something in business that very few people take the time to learn how to do. The military mm. and sports teams spend millions of pounds a year learning how to get better at developing people. But if you ask most people what they do in their culture and their company to develop their people, they'll say things like, well, we have an offsite once a year. We go to pizza every month or we do. And I'm like, well, yeah, great. But like I'm talking about building a world class team. If you're trying to build a world class team, how much of your budget are you spending on team development? Because if it's not 10%, you're going to struggle to make a world-class team Hmm. because you can't do it with a pizza night once a month. That's not what builds an amazing culture. And if you want to go from 1 million to 5 million to 10 million, culture is going to be one of the most important elements in you building that. I'm telling you now, if you don't get that right, it won't scale. It won't. It'll it'll fail rather than scale. Culture, the wrong culture will not scale. Only good culture scale. Bad ones corrupt in the end. And, and the importance of it is so much that I remember this is one of the main conversations I had with my my the, the accountant because I was talking about how do I build a culture of you know up until now I've had a very small uh, number of teams I've had multiple businesses but they don't have, they don't I can outsource a lot of stuff I haven't actually built a, a, a you know a larger than four or five people as a, as a team in one particular area and even the the teams I have they're all over the place I mean I mean in terms of location wise in, in the world. So having, how do I build a culture? And that's where he pointed me towards you. Because I think I recognize it even before I started that when I went to, when I went to visit, uh, you know, not one person smiled at me. When I went, I went to look around the shop floor and, uh, and these are all gentlemen, you know, they're all men in the work clothes. I, I was obviously in a, in a, in a, in a smart attire, but I was there smiling way, like, you know, like smiling, hi, you know, hello. And they, someone acknowledged to say hello. Someone even bothered to say hello. They just looked at me and looked away. <laughs> okay and I remember thinking and I remember making the comment when I came back and like they don't smile do they and um and in the back of my mind that was my mind that yet I don't want people to be miserable I don't know if that's in the natural demeanor or who they are but there needs to be a culture that there's no there was no there was no flow of like that you can see it was just you know I don't know I, I just I was not happy with that culture of the of, of the business that it is, and I thought, okay, this needs to change. There was my number one person. This has to change. People have to smile and at least be approachable. If there's you know somebody else, they don't who they didn't know who I was. I was just uh, they before they knew I was a tax audit person. Who, who yeah, I didn't look like a tax person but anyway. But they they. I was going to say if they thought you were that, then that's understandable why they didn't smile, but, right? But, 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 <laughs> but either way, they 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 you know I was there smiling away with my perky smile and perky face and everything else, and I'm very bubbly and and so forth. Yet. I didn't get managed to get a single smile from one person. I thought, okay. And so, yeah, culture is important. Well, it is. It's, it's not only that, though. It's about also understanding that different profiles show um, enthusiasm differently, right? Yeah. So your profile might show enthusiasm be being lots of chatty, bubbly, right? Whereas if you're in a manufacturing plant, for example, yeah. and there's yeah. lots of guys with the profile that particularly work on a manufacturing plant where they like to be left alone and they like yeah. to work on there, then, then, then that's not going to work for them. And the key yeah. thing is, you know, the risk is you try and force the way that, you know, and then I've seen this too many times is where the entrepreneur tries to get everybody to behave the way they behave, because that's what makes them happy. And yeah. I'm like, yeah, but if that ultimately, you know, if that ultimately upsets people, 
then what happens is they leave, right? Because they're yeah. not going to stay somewhere where they're not happy. Now you want a culture where it's healthy communication. You want a culture where people are celebrated for their own unique value and perspective. Mm. That's critical, but that also is a culture of understanding and tolerance. The, the T in team stands for trust and trust comes because there's a level of transparency and that you, you're able to understand each other. And like Johnny's not being difficult. Johnny just is a person that likes to ask lots of questions because his profile needs lots of detail. He's not a difficult person. That's just how he things and the minute you're able to break it down and make it about people uh, and make it about the person and, and their profile and not about their behavior one of my favorite things to say to clients all the time is people hire for skills right we'll look at a cv and we'll hire for skill and then we fire on behavior we fire on people's behavior and nine times out of ten people get fired because they don't culturally align with the organization that's why they get fired or they get released or it doesn't work out. And, and actually how many people test for cultural fit at this interviewing stage? Very few. And actually, if you just start, I have all clients do this. It's like, number one, most people haven't written down their values anyway, but if you go through a process of really properly writing your values down, you share them during an interview process with people and say, listen, this is what we believe in this organization. This is how we live. This is, this is the standards you're signing up to, right? If, if friendliness is one of our standards, then, you know, greeting people with a smile is how that behavior shows up. And, and you say to somebody in an interview, listen, if you can't, if this isn't for you, we're not trying to force you to change. We're trying to find people who believe what we believe. Yeah. Simon Sinek says, and it's like, you know, the reality is like, if you don't document any of that, how are you ever going to call people to account yeah to the standard. And, but that's the hard bit, right? Nine times out of 10, when clients of mine start changing the culture or putting cultural pieces in, in place, two things happen. Number one, people who are realized they're about to get called out on bad behavior quit <laughs> almost inevitably, right? They go, uh Oh, I'm about to get found out that I'm not a good fit. So people leave. And number two, you'll usually find one senior person who tries to derail the process because they don't like the culture change. They like it as it is. And that normally happens nine times out of 10 in most companies. So then you've got to know how to navigate that. But you know, you've, nine times out of 10, every time somebody leaves an organization, they never, ever, ever recruit somebody worse than the person that left hmm. ever. <laughs> Right, yeah, sure. Because <laughs> you vibrationally, once you move the culture up and you change the culture, you attract people who frequently who are, who are on that level of frequency. Mm-hmm. So the person who left left because they weren't a frequency match. Yeah, as, Bob, as Bob, you know, Bob Proctor would say, right? They're not a frequency match. They left because they didn't they didn't feel they fitted in. And what they meant was they weren't a frequency match. Which means if you're higher up as an organization because you're now living on purpose mm-hmm. and you've got really clear values, you attract better talent. And and the the better you're clear of the the vision and the values, the better the talent you attract. Yeah, 100%. 100%. So on that note, we're going to wrap this up. Do any parting comments about this this statement or or this question, how to stop working in your business and start working on your business? Okay. So I would say, first of all, be kind to yourself. It's a process. Okay. It's a process, right? And different stages of your business, working on your business might be uh, a couple of hours a week working on it. And then you'll, as your business grows and you're able to get out of more boxes, then it might move to being, you know, a couple of hours a day. And then eventually you might move to the point where actually, do you know what, three days of the week you're working on the business. It's a process. It's a process. It's a process. Be kind to yourself on that process. Nobody starts out straight away working on the business all the time. And actually that's dangerous. Mm -hmm. Nine times out of 10, if you get it wrong and you go too far the other way, you can actually mess the business up because you're still needed on some level of operation to be there. But just have it as intention and, you know, do do the have yourself and your team do the time audit on at least a quarterly basis and look at, right, where am I spending my time? Who could help me solve that? Who's Who's got the skills to do it in the team that actually do it better than I could do it? 
And if you start asking your team the same question, you're going to find massive opportunities to share tasks internally in the team and free up loads of time. Uh, and, you know, just just do that on a consistent basis of realizing that actually your job is to get to the stage where you're doing high value tasks that only you can do. And when you get to that stage, you're going to realize that, okay, now I'm in a space where I'm spending my time, you know, really working on the development of the business and the strategy of the business and the people piece of the business. That's what I'm going to spend my time working on um, is, is those elements. Um, and then, okay, great. It's still, you're still going to need to work, but you're just going to work differently. Perfect. So tell us, Paul, where can we find you? How can we connect with, connect with you on the internet? Uh, so go to paullavins.com. It's probably the easiest way. Um, you'll find links to resources there. You can get free copies of my books and uh, trainings. I think we're going to link below to the YouTube channel that I have and then my LinkedIn profile as well. I'm pretty active on LinkedIn every day. So regularly answering questions and posting content on there all about this, this scale-up journey and how to do it. And if you're really interested in finding out about the team tools that we use, um, just go to contributioncompass.co.uk and that'll check it all out. And you can find out about the profiling tool and get free ebook or all the around that kind of how to lead people differently based on their profiles rather than what you think. <laughs> Fantastic. So if you are listening to us on the podcast, then the links that Paul has just mentioned to all his links will be in the show notes. And if he is watching us on YouTube, then down below in the description section, we'll have all the links that Paul just mentioned too. Do check him out. I think he's a fabulous person. And if you are looking to build and scale your business, then he's definitely a person to contact. Like I said, he's my mentor. Thank you so much for joining us today, Paul. It's been so informative and I've, I've taken tons of value from you. Thank you so much. Uh, it's been a real privilege to be here. And um, yeah, I wish everybody all the success they're prepared to work for, right? <laughs> fantastic and thank you for listening to me and paul today on money talkies i will be back on another episode finding out how you and i can build a better business until the next time we meet this is girl Khan signing off take care and bye for now if you want to learn more about my energy tools and mindset strategies then please visit my website www.gulkhan.com and if you want to take part in our five-day abundance mindset makeover workshop where I deep dive into energy tools for abundance then please go to www.abundancemindsetmakeover.com and register. I look forward to being your mentor in the next workshop and if you want to learn about the spiritual laws of money then go and get my book Laws of Money from www.lawsofmoney.com. Until the next time we meet, this is Gul Khan signing off. Take care and bye for now.